This is the Canna Curio Podcast by Cannabis Media, your source for cannabis and hemp license updates directly from the data vault. Don't forget to subscribe to the Cannabis Media newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to stay informed of future episodes and data releases. Welcome to the Canna Curio Podcast powered by Cannabis Media. We're your hosts, Amanda Guerrero and Ed Keating. On today's show, we're joined by two very special guests, Shannon Schumann and Kristen Nichols of Marijuana Business Daily. Shannon is the Vice President of Publishing at Hemp Industry Daily, and Kristen is an author, editor, and reporter who covers both CBD and hemp news. We're so excited to have them on the show, but as always, we're going to jump in with Ed to see what he has for us today from the Data Vault. Ed? Thanks, Amanda. So we just released our monthly can of curio that focuses on what's happening with dispensaries and retailers around the country. And as you've heard me say, virtually every month this year, Oklahoma leads again. And uh, now they're up to 261 new licenses that they've issued. But Michigan came in second with 182 new licenses, which is up 80% since January 1. And California is third with 70 new licenses. So we're still seeing dispensaries and retailers coming on board across the nation. Yes, it does seem that our dispensary and retailers uh, are coming on fast. Oklahoma, Michigan, California still are pack leaders. Uh, Same thing with cultivation. Super excited to see where they go. Thanks for that update, Ed. After our commercial break, we'll return with an exciting interview with Shannon and Kristen of Marijuana Business Daily. Stay tuned. Are you in hemp or CBD? Don't make another business decision without first consulting Hemp Industry Daily's Hemp and CBD Industry Factbook, the industry's most in-depth market research tool. To get this indispensable industry guide for a cannabis media exclusive 25% off, go to hempindustryfactbook.com and enter the code LEAF25. That's code LEAF25. Welcome back to the show, everybody. As mentioned, we are here with Shannon Schumann and Kristen Nichols of Marijuana Business Daily. Welcome to the show, Kristen and Shannon. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Of course. As most of our subscribers know, Marijuana Business Daily is pretty much a household name at this point, but they were founded in 2011 and have been the leading source for cannabis and hemp business news, updates, and so much more. We have Kristen and Shannon on the show, so let's get a little bit more background on them. Kristen, it's your bio says you've covered the CBD and hemp beat since 2009. Wow. How did you get involved and why? <laughs> okay. They say every year in cannabis is a dog year, so that makes me so ancient. I know. No, um, <laughs> for a long all. time, I covered uh, politics and agriculture. So uh, when uh, it was campaign season, I was a reporter covering uh, politics, state politics. Then the rest of the year would cover ag. Um, moved to Colorado, and boy, if you cover agriculture and politics, the perfect intersection of both is, of course, cannabis. So when I came to Colorado in 08, this industry started taking off. It's, uh, I still think it's very much agriculture, um, or floriculture, really and uh, was interested in it and so been doing it ever since 09 I then moved out of covering politics entirely and now just get to focus on the plants 
So exciting. And you must have seen, I mean, so much since 2009. I mean, that's almost 10 years covering this, uh, the industry. So that, that's fantastic. Um, and Shannon, I know that you're a recent addition to the MJ Biz Daily team. How does this job compare to your previous position in industries? Uh, yeah, I um, <clears throat> the, the previous stop, I was running a media company serving the fresh produce industry, a product called the Packer. Um, it had uh, covered the market from, you know, basically grower to retailer and everything in between. It was a full supply chain uh, news organization uh, uh, re uh, covering the uh, fresh produce market. And, you know, there are a lot of similarities uh, between the two, a lot of differences, obviously, uh, but um, similar position here where, you know, I'm asked to you know, build a business around a relatively new uh, hemp industry daily media brand serving the hemp industry. So one of the questions that we've been interested in is, you know, looking at what's going on, especially on the hemp side and the emergence of CBD is, you know, is the adoption curve of new things coming into the marketplace, which I, I, I imagine you saw on the retail side, is that similar to sort of the technology adoption curve where you get innovators, people who buy really early and early adopters, et cetera, you know, sort of like we'd see with various types of consumer technology. You get those curious people first. So uh, I'm just curious if there were any similarities be between those markets. I'd say absolutely. And I'm so, what a great analogy to uh, kind of the early dot-com boom and uh, tech. There's early adapters, people that are super into uh, the newest, the latest, the coolest. Uh, then people who kind of come on when things get more affordable. There's a lot of boom and bust where you have some enthusiastic investors and enthusiastic entrepreneurs who go big. A lot of them flame out. It's exciting to watch. I know painful to go through if you're in the industry, but it's uh, definitely a lot of really good analogies. I think with the with the early dot com days or or other tech boom and cycles where. You've got a lot of exciting innovations, and it's starting to trickle to the mainstream, uh, but it still changes every day. Yeah, that's a great point, and I appreciate you bringing in the boom and bust cycles because goodness knows we're seeing a lot of that this year, and I, I think COVID has certainly pushed a lot more busts than we would have thought in uh, in the last six months. And uh, yeah, we'll see how we'll see how it plays out, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how this moves on. So you know, let's jump over to Shannon. So you know where you came from, and sort of looking at retail trends. You know, how does CBD look to you? Because you know you've been through this before with other products and, and, and other market sectors. Uh, right. Uh, you know, it's well, it certainly shows a lot of promise. Um, I'll give it that. I, I think there are a number of um, inherent challenges with any new market, uh, but this one in particular, where there's just so, so much growing demand and, you know, uh, not every player in the market is playing by the rules. Uh, so that's eroding some consumer confidence and probably more importantly, the retailer confidence. Um, I really think the um, you know, this market is going to be changed uh, dramatically when major retailers like Walmart and Target and Costco make significant plays uh, with CBD products. Um, right now, there's a lot of um, uh, confusion and lack of confidence that, you know, they can not only meet the demand of their consumers at that, at that scale, 
but that the products themselves are in fact you know uh, saying what or doing what they say they can and um, you know these major retailers can feel comfortable putting those products on the shelves on behalf of their customers. Oh, that's a good point, especially in terms of do the products do what they say, or do they even have the ingredients in them as 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 labeled? And I imagine you know that's going to sort of dog these companies until they until they get it right. I want to add. I think one thing that Shannon mentioned that I think is so interesting about this industry, where and is so is changing so quickly, where in the early days, definitely in early days of legalization, people in cannabis, growing, selling, were all only in cannabis. They weren't in other lines of business. What we're seeing now, like Shannon mentioned, we're seeing companies that that's, this is not their main business, looking and exploring opportunities. But if you're, again, if you're a Walmart, a Costco, or a big pharmaceutical or a, a big ag company, this is never going to be the only thing you do. Um, so it's a very different priority that we're seeing from kind of the newer entrants here. There's a lot of different challenges and it's going to be exciting to watch again, where do these, where do these big players land? If this is not going to be what pays the bills for them, this is never going to be their main line of business versus kind of, you think of a, a old school pot grower or pot retailer, this is what they do. Yeah. It's, uh, as, as we look at the marketplace on the cannabis side and people who subscribe to our products, we've put them into three buckets. And I've talked about this before on the pod, which is you've got cannaserious people who this is their business and it's their primary business. You have canna curious. They want to put a toe in or they want to try it out. And then you have canna clueless people who are interested, but don't know what they don't know. And I, I think there may be some, uh, analogies here too, as people try and figure out the lay of the land uh, during you know these tumultuous times. I love those sayings. I'm gonna I'm gonna rip you off. That would be fine. That would be fine. So uh, so Shannon, you know, digging into uh, a little bit more of the retail trends. You know, one thing that I've seen that's personally confused me is out in the marketplace we see CBD, CBG, CBN, and it, it makes me think of that supermarket you know, challenge the paradox of choice. You know, you go in there and you've got 60 brands of jam or jelly. Which one do you choose? So what happens in a market when there's maybe too much choice on the shelves? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, CBD by itself is already confusing for for most consumers, you know, and, and part of that goes back to that consumer confidence as to, you know, not knowing exactly what CBD, CBD does and what are the, um, you know, what kind of... Um, um, uh, volume do you take? What, what, you know, how many milligrams of CBD works for you? And, and is there a, uh, a method of uh, taking your CBD that, that is more uh, effective? So there's a lot of things I think driving consumer confidence or lack of con consumer confidence in CBD. And then if you add in, you know, CBG and CBN, I think it's just going to get really muddy. Um, not to say that those other, um, you know, those other uh, types don't have value to a consumer for one thing or another. But I do think, you know, there was this rapid race to get into CBD. And so many people got into it so quickly and it um, um, altered the kind of market supply and demand uh, to in, in a way that, you know, now it's forcing prices down and um, now people are rapidly looking for the next thing. And, you know, I, I've seen people kind of lean into CBG, 
more um, and soon to be CBN. And I just think it's too quick because most of the consumers still don't know what CBD does. Right, right. And, and is this how things become commodities? I, I know in our past conversations, you talked about sometimes products like this or, or, or you know, alphabet soup like this can sort of just become merely an ingredient like echinacea where it's just a thing. Like, you know, could, could that be a possibility for CBD? I think so. Um, you know, I, I obviously I hope not. Um, you know, CBD has been driving the hemp industry and, and been a big win for, for a lot of people. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, if it ends up being, you know, a vitamin C or you get a product that is, you know, somehow boosted by CBD rather than it being a CBD forward product, um, I think that will, that could slowly kind of commoditize the value of CBD as an independent, um, you know, a brand of its own rather than just an ingredient. Yeah. And I'm glad you touched on brand and branding because, you know, in, in commodities, if you can establish a brand, you may be able to get a price premium, you might get more market share, et cetera. Uh, you know, once again, you've seen this happen in, in other spaces in the marketplace. You know, how soon before that starts to happen where we we maybe see a brand that people trust or they recognize or, or a brand that they know for something else includes CBD and suddenly it starts to be a bit more normalized. Like, are we there yet? Is it six months? Is it a year? Well, we're certainly not there yet. Um, I, I'd be, almost be hesitant to put a time frame on it. Uh, but I, I, would, I would add one thing that, you know, we talk about branding oftentimes from the, from the viewpoint of a consumer. But many times, you know, a brand you know, I'll, I'll kind of reference back to the fresh produce industry. When you walk into the grocery store, you're not, oftentimes you're not buying a brand. You don't know what brand your apples are. You don't know where they came from necessarily, at least who the grower was. Um, so the brand, but, but all of it is branded. Um, and that brand is designed more for the retail buyer to, to have confidence that that product is going to serve their consumer needs. They know that by buying a certain brand, they are going to be able to uh, be confident in the supply, be confident in the, um, uh, the, the stability of the product, uh, be confident that, you know, it's not going to have a lot of failed product with it. So a lot of branding, I think, is overlooked in terms of how valuable it is to a retailer, which right now I think is more important than how valuable it is to a consumer. Because there are so many CBD brands out there, there's just no way for the consumer to unpack that. Yeah, and on the retail side, you know, we've seen a little bit of this from cannabis media's side where a couple states have issued what we'll call CBD retailer licenses. Uh, right now it's down in Louisiana and Florida. And in the case of Florida, well, actually both, they've issued a lot of licenses, but they're pretty straightforward to get. Like I think in uh, Florida, you're pretty much checking a box for an existing retailer to say, I carry CBD as well. But they've gone up the whole wholesale chain as well to let people say that, yes, I'm a, uh, you know, I produce this product. Like there's one alligator meat processor who also has a CBD checkbox uh, near, near his business. So I'm curious, like, you know, what happens now with the retail chain? Because, you know, you've got 
like over 700 public stores down in Florida that can now quote unquote sell CBD. Like, is this how it starts, Shannon, and you know begins to roll out that way? Yeah, definitely. I, I've had the good fortune of talking with a number of CBD category managers and buyers in uh, some uh, major retail chains. Oh. And, you know, some of the struggle that they've had is, um, you know, they've got a lot of curious consumers um, and things like the size of the package um, has, you know, come up as far as, you know, most most of these buyers have been relegated to buying large, relatively large packages of a hundred, you know, gummies or something like that. Mm. And oftentimes a consumer doesn't want that as a, the curious consumer doesn't want to make that kind of commitment. Um, so that, that's one small example, but there are a lot of barriers that go into considering this. And when you look at Publix, for example, and all of their stores, if, if, um, the opportunity for CBD is enormous, but it has to, you have to be able to meet the requirements of that consumer at that scale. And I think that's a challenge. I, I think that's a major challenge. And I see a lot of CBD brands that um, seem to be doing a good job, but I wonder if they've got the opportunity to really manufacture at that scale. And it seems like in the next year, you were asking kind of a projection over the next year, I feel there's going to be a lot of consolidation of uh, CBD brands as major retailers start to require high volume of consistency. Right. And start to sort of demand what the channel needs, not what the 10,000 producers want to produce. And, and you know, I thought your point was very interesting before about package size, because at this point in the industry, as people are still kind of clueless or kind of curious going back to that thing, you're really trying to stimulate trial with, with, with consumers. You know, they, 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 they want to, you know, maybe buy four of something just to see what it's like a sampler, but not get a relationship that's going to, you know, last you for six months because maybe it's a bad experience and, you know, you don't want to have that much uh, product on hand. Right. And, and you, you, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, at the end of the day, the retailers have the keys to the car and, you know, they're the ones that have access to most of the consumers and, you know, good, good for CBD for finding a direct channel through e-commerce. Mm. Um, but at some point when those major retailers get on board and develop a level of confidence that they can carry a full line of CBD products, that is going to significantly alter the market and they will have every ounce of power because they're representing the ultimate buyer. Yeah, in a year from now, we're going to have you back and you're going to tell us all about slotting fees in the industry as you know the stores really start cramming down on the producers. So uh, just sticking with the licensing side of things, Kristen, I wanted to ask you from sort of that, that hemp side that you cover, you know, now we've got the U.S. Department of Agriculture approving state hemp plans, the DEA approving testing labs. We're kind of seeing almost a federalization of regulations. You know, what impact is that going to have in the marketplace? And, and you know, how, how will that shape the industry in years to come? It's going to be enormous. It's a big case of uh, be careful what you ask for. One big win is that hemp wants to be a national commodity right now in the marijuana space and still in hemp. Rules are different if you're growing and selling in Florida, as you mentioned, or you're in California or Michigan or Oklahoma or any other market. Everything really depends on your state rules. That's not how other 
crops and commodities work if you're growing wheat or soybeans kind of how that market looks doesn't really depend on what state you're in and your state doesn't make the rules for how you sell your soybeans um so absolutely where the feds come down on how hemp is regulated is going to drive all decisions we're expecting this fall for some rules to become final right now uh you see we just uh, did like kind of a top 10 ranking you see some states oh we're so friendly for this industry we allow this and that other states don't allow things all of that i think eventually goes away i think that's a good uh, sign of maturity it's going to make the industry look more like other industries but certainly it's going to be a challenge for those who have been operating under a state plan or maybe uh, in the illicit market doing their own thing um, life is going to be different when you're regulated by uh, dc yeah, it's a good point because it makes me think when I've gone to your conferences and heard about the challenges in Europe of just cannabis rolling out, they often talk about the harmonization of, regula of sure. regulation. And you're never going to get that over there because they're all sovereign nations. And you sort of get that in the U.S. with cannabis. They're all mm -hmm. sovereign states. But with the federalization of hemp, it should be pretty interesting to see how that uh, plays out. And as some have opined it may give some insights as to how cannabis may someday be regulated, but uh, I think we're a long way away from that. We are, but no doubt, it's definitely a test run. The issues you're going to see with USDA and hemp, this is all going to play out uh, when uh, things change for high THC cannabis. Just to pile on, um, when I was talking about my background as an ag writer, one thing that made me chuckle at, uh, at pot shows or, or marijuana industry shows is people really looking forward to the USDA, they were, did not want to be regulated anymore like a drug. And I thought, you know, I've been to a lot of farms. You've never heard people say nice things about the USDA <laughs> like they did um, in uh, marijuana. Again, before you were regulated by the USDA. Now we'll see how many folks have great things to say about the USDA uh, coming up in growing seasons to come. Yeah, we, we shall see uh, w what happens here. Uh, but so looking into 2020, we've seen a complete shift of how we've had to operate our businesses, you know, specifically, you know, within the media and event space. Um, Shannon, I was curious, you know, how are, are you and the team currently addressing, you know, these new challenges? I know you just had, you know, MJ BizCon Next, which was a virtual show, um, you know, and how does this also, you know, kind of translate into the hemp space? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question, and this has been the oddest year I think most of us have ever experienced. But you know, speaking on behalf of you know MJ Biz and and the event space in general, it's it's been devastating. Um, you know, we we've got the largest you know cannabis show in the world, and to not be able to potentially put that on. Um, it's not only, you know, part of our business, but it's become a big part of the industry's expectation. You know, it's the time of the year where a lot of industry members rely on to get together and find new partners or uh, new customers. And without it, it's really created an enormous void. And, and you know, that's not just us. Um, you know, the hemp, the event space around hemp and cannabis um, mirrors the, you know, cannabis and CBD space as well. You know, you've got a lot of people chasing, um, you know, what they see as this pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Um, and, you know, not everyone's going to survive this. And, but, in, you know, in the event space, you've got 
you know, what, what I've counted is, you know, hundreds of events, and I've never seen that in another industry. So um, it's put a real damper on this industry's ability to connect face-to-face, -face, and I really feel like that networking is probably the biggest loss with not being able to have live events um, to date. And, you know, we, um, you mentioned it, uh, we had, we have our MJ Biz Next and our Hemp Industry Daily Conference. They're co-located or they were supposed to be co-located within uh, New Orleans uh, back in June. Uh, we obviously had to cancel that and shifted to a full virtual event. Um, we, we learned a lot from it. We felt like, um, you know, at the end of the day, without getting to the specifics of the event, uh, one of the things that we took away is it's really difficult to replicate the exhibitor experience. Um, yeah. We have found we found some mechanisms to replicate and even in some cases improve on the networking uh, experience. Um, and so I think that has forced us to reevaluate what a virtual event looks like. Um, I, I think prior to, you know, as COVID hit, everyone wanted to, you know, try to turn a live event into a virtual event by using all the same components. And it's just too difficult to replicate, you know, what an exhibitor needs to get out of a show. Uh, but there are, you know, a lot of educational channels within that, the networking channels, there are some tools that we've been able to add that have really added a lot of value. And going into MJ BizCon later in the year, which, you know, at the moment, we are still working toward a hybrid, uh, a live version of the event uh, for those that can be there and a virtual version to run in parallel uh, that takes advantage of uh, all the strengths of those channels without trying to replicate some things that it just can't. Uh, so, you know, we've got some bold plans for December and um, probably worth pointing out as well that we are keeping a very close eye on, you know, the COVID situation and doing everything that we can to be responsible um, on behalf of all of the visitors working with Las Vegas and the convention center, um, all in a, in, you know, in an effort to make this the safest um, event possible. I wow. just yeah. to oh. add some silver lining and say this is an area where it's a huge advantage to be such a new, young, nimble industry. If you're in something like, again, mainstream ag that really relies on, say, big old style auctions, or you're in the auto industry or the fashion industry, they have been just totally upended. I feel like relative to other industries, the cool thing about cannabis executives are so nimble, so quick to figure out how to get to e-commerce, how to survive uh, when laws don't go their way or, you know, the events like this. So I think it's, it's it, not to sit to diminish how terrible th this uh, pandemic has been for the industry, but I think this industry is going to come right through it in, in a way better positioned than a lot of its colleague industries to survive this kind of downturn. Yeah, absolutely. No, you've both given, you know, such thoughtful uh, responses uh, to this question, um, you know, and Shannon, as someone that as an exhibitor, you know, and as someone that did attend the uh, virtual show that you guys put on a few months back, um, you know, you did touch on the the inability to replicate the actual in-person networking experience. But as a former recruiter, uh, having the ability to connect with everyone online virtually and having that um, chat message box was so helpful 
role and such a, a great way to introduce ourselves, you know, with a no pressure approach. Uh, unlike in-person events, you know, where it can be a little intimidating to walk up and, and introduce yourself to someone brand new. Um, so, you know, I'm very much looking forward to what you guys have for us in December. Um, I don't know if I'll be there for, you know, due to COVID, but I will definitely uh, be encouraging others to, to attend because um, I know you guys are going to do a great job there. Of course. Um, so looking forward, you know, we kind of touched on MJ Biz, uh, but are there any other, you know, upcoming product projects or releases that you guys would like to share uh, on behalf of uh, Hemp Industry Daily or MJ Biz Daily? Um, I'll, I'll bring up one and then, um, you know, Kristen, if you've got some to add here, but the big one um, that ties in nicely to some of the things we've been talking about is, you know, we, we have, you know, we have covered the market you know, supply chain from end to end. And, um, you know, I've, I feel like I, I'm so fortunate to have joined this organization that's rooted in exceptional journalism and um, very high standards uh, for the market. And um, looking at the hemp market, you know, kind of going back to the, the key drivers right now being around the CBD space, um, we are in the next couple weeks expanding our uh, distribution and and reach of our content into more retail outlets and those are chain grocery stores uh, drug stores gas stations convenience stores pet stores uh, you name it anyone who is um, a high volume buyer or could be a high volume buyer of CBD or uh, hemp infused products we want to start engaging with them more and and part of it is to kind of help the CBD uh, part of our industry continue to you know pursue that pot of gold, uh, but part of it is to make sure that you know we're on the forefront of that conversation as those major retailers start changing the market dynamics. Well, we can definitely help you with uh, accessing data on the Florida and Louisiana retailers that are, are currently changing uh, the market down there. Um, you know, and very much looking forward to what you guys have, uh, what you guys are able to uncover on your own, because um, that will definitely be relevant to uh, the cannabis media platform. And uh, we you know, look forward to what you guys have for us. Uh, but thank you. Yeah, of course. Thank you both so much for joining us on today's show, Shannon, Kristen. Uh, you've been such great guests. And while, you know, 2020 has been quite unexpectedly uh, challenging, it sounds like uh, you guys and the MJ Biz team are doing a great job in navigating that. So thank you for joining us on today's show. Thanks so much for having us. All right, Ed. So let's take one last look into the future. What data and license updates should we look forward to from the data vaults? Well, right now, uh, we're in the process of publishing a part three of a report that uh, I've been working on over the summer, which discusses companies that connect to seed to sale systems. So this one focuses on those vendors that actually are essentially involved with financial transactions. We identified 28 of these companies in this sector. And uh, some of the things that we found were that Half of those connected in California, so they saw that as the market to be in. And they were largely comprised by financial institutions, payment processors, financial compliance, and marketplaces. The most interesting takeaway that I found is that most of these vendors did not connect to many states. There was nobody that was in 14 or 12 or 10. Actually, six was the most. So uh, I think maybe 
because they're trying to build scale. So they probably need to go deep in the states they choose. So it's uh, so it was, it was an interesting observation in being able to take a look into these uh, 28 companies. Well, no surprise that 14 out of 28 were based in California, right, Ed? All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us on today's podcast. We're your hosts, Amanda Guerrero and Ed Keating. Stay tuned for more updates from the Data Vault. Thanks for listening to the Canacurio podcast by Cannabis Media. Stay up to date with the latest episodes of the podcast and get alerts on the latest licensing activity in the United States and Canada, as well as exclusive industry insights by signing up for the Cannabis Media licensing newsletter at cannabis.media slash newsletter.